Hello, and welcome to Fine Art Podcast, where the podcast is fine, but the art is fine. My name's Keegan Shiner, and today's guest is a phenomenal painter. She's from Brooklyn, New York. She has a MFA from the New York Academy of Art. She's done residencies at Plop in London, Desierto 14 in Mexico, La, I'm going to butcher this, La Nupel Foundation Residency in France, sorry about that, and uh, Leipzig International Artist Program in Germany. She recently had a solo exhibition um, at Steven Zavita's Gallery in Boston, and she has an upcoming show at Manya Rowe Gallery on November 5th. Her paintings are really funny, and they, they look, they're like in the same genre as like a Bruegel or a Bosch or a Fouquet, meaning that they, they have like little people on them everywhere, and they're all doing kind of funny stuff, um, usually. Her new work takes a turn, but we talk about that on the podcast, so I'm not going to spoil it right now. If you're interested in looking at her work while you're listening to this, she's at a Tarasenko on Instagram, and her website is aterrasenko.com. So that's easy to find. You can look her up. Uh, we talk about a few of her paintings, so you might want to see what they're all about uh, in the meantime. So yeah, so she's really funny, but she's still critical, and she's relevant to the conceptual canon and everything. And if you don't know what I mean by that, uh, good news, I've added a feature to this podcast just for you. It's called The Bridge Out of the Art World. Or The Bridge to Outside the Fine Art World. I don't know. I'm going to fix that title. But uh, basically, it's a friend of mine who's not a fine artist, has never taken an art class that I invite on to just talk and ask questions when needed. And um, this week, that guest, that friend is uh, Eric Schwartz. He's a Chicago comedian. He's on the board of the Playground Theater in Chicago. He's the host of Dumb Comic Creators. And he is sitting at his sister's house in this episode. Um, and everyone has gone to bed, but his brother is annoying him. Um, classic Eric Schwartz, everyone. Um, so without further ado, and uh, I should mention before I go, actually, there's uh, quite a bit of uh, raunchy, disgusting, dirty, filthy language in this, and it's all handled very smoothly. But if you have giggling teenagers near you, you may want to listen to this away from the kids. Uh, okay, so without further ado, I hope you enjoy, and I'll uh, talk to you on the other side. You've been really busy this year, I noticed. And yeah. Happily so. I mean, um, I graduated, I left grad school like three and a half years ago now. Yes. And in the beginning, like I'm just making work in my studio. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. Um, Nobody's really paying attention. But it affords like a certain kind of freedom. Like as much as I complained about that back in the day, like, woe is me. Nobody cares kind of thing. You know, it was really, it was a really fun time because I got to do whatever the fuck I wanted. Really. Yeah, you know, through that, and really, it was only at the end of um, at the end of last year, um, I applied to New American Paintings, which is the office for it is in Boston. Steven Zavitas is the publisher, and he also has a gallery in Boston. Yeah, and so he reached out to me after I applied, and he's like, "Let's do a show together. Your your stuff is great." And sort of like after that, things just 
picked up, you know. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, I was with my friends the other night, and they're like, yeah, you make good end-of-the-world art. Maybe that's <laughs> like, great, maybe. Fair enough. I think that may have a lot to do with it, you know. Well, you've, uh, so I, I did a lot of research ahead of, ahead of this interview, and it was, the, I mean, the best thing I found was the Raw Artists video. Um, I don't know if you've thought about or seen that video in a while, but it's... Yeah, it's that was a long time ago. What was the raw artist experience like for you? Because to me, it sounds like a like a pyramid scheme type it of ripoff. Yeah. Um, they are predatory in the sense that it's a business model, not so much a you know. At the time, this was like ten years ago. Yeah, it must have been like I don't know. Pre grad school, right? Way pre grad school, pre fine art in general. I didn't even know who I really was as an artist back then because I just finished you know, undergrad and fine art didn't exist for me at that point because I was always in an illustration track in yeah. school and that's what I thought I would do. But illustration requires a very specific set of skills, both mentally and physically that I just didn't have and I refused to, you know, comply with because you have to be like a worker bee, really. Uh, Not right. in a bad way. You know, it's just you have to be patient. You have to be a team player. You have to have a style that really is conducive to multiple applications commercially. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. So at the time that I did raw, I was like in this in-between space. I'm like, I'm making paintings. They're not illustrations. They're definitely not. As far as paintings go, fine art, like in hindsight, I'm like, they're not really great paintings in terms of like, there's no cohesive anything. The narrative isn't necessarily fully developed. I'm not really fleshed out. I don't really know what I want to do. And raw contacts artists en masse, like they'll send out yeah. last emails to like everyone with a social media presence that says artists on it. And this was like, um, gosh, this was, if it's 10 years ago, this was just like Facebook, really. Right, was, was right. Mm-hmm. And they're so polite. They're like, we love your work. We wanna want you to be in this show. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like we see that you're up and coming. Yeah, I got the same email. <laughs> you have to sell 10 tickets or else you have to pay X amount of dollars. I mean, yeah. it's a little different than like if you have a gallery that's like pay to play, a pay to play gallery, you know, that they'll be, and I get those requests and I'm like, you know, absolutely not. You know, it's like, yeah. they're like, oh, you have to pay X amount of dollars. Usually it's in the hundreds to hang up your work in our gallery or whatever in a group show that, you know, and maybe that works for some people. I shit on it just because it just doesn't seem, it's, yeah. it favors the gallery, doesn't favor no no it's like paying the to gallery always wins. the house always wins right it's like how they do with like theater as well like if you want to put up your own show you have to pay to rent out the theater so the theater is guaranteed to make money and you're pretty much guaranteed to lose yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. and, and we, you know what, i feel for the people that worked for raw too it seemed like they were under a lot of pressure to get artists to sign up and then they always had to like follow up and then I felt like I'm selling something like because I'm like oh my to all my friends and family like oh you have to pay right it's like selling knives right you, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I can't do this show unless you buy a ticket so you have to support me you know huge reader of reddit's uh, anti-MLM forum fucking addicted to it and just like oh yeah kind of predatory practices that people do I mean like raw is definitely a soft MLM but um it's still ongoing you know yeah yeah. I blocked their emails at this point because it kind of incessant with the number of things that they do. Where it does work for some people is if you sell like jewelry or if you sell something like crafts that are people could come in and buy easily and affordably. Yeah. 
but I can't imagine that those people make a lot of money either. And there's a lot more like craft fairs and stuff that I think are a little bit better for that. Especially if you have to sell tickets to the event too, yeah. which, which seemed really hard. Should, that should be their job. Like it's to promote the show, not, not the artist's job. Yeah. And I had no idea that fine art really, ex- the, the world existed, you know, until yeah. you're in it, you're, you have no clue how it functions. You know, I had no idea. And so I went to grad school because I wanted to find out, you know, and so I really learned everything from scratch, you know, about the fine art world. And I was mind blown. I was like, what do you mean? They send you on residency (laughs) to apply, you could get grants, like show openings are filled with people and you have to do literally nothing. Yeah. I wanted to ask, I know that you used to do fantasy illustrations. What's like the silliest illustration that, that you can remember doing? Oh God. Oh, they were also melodramatic. Um, they were all like big titted women with six packs or <laughs> like, I remember, so I was, I was doing this when I was a teenager in high school and my teachers didn't know what to do with me. They were like, yeah. we're not having this conversation. We're not touching this. Um, and I remember I did one where it was like, I was, must've been like 15 or 14 years old and it's like a woman and she's naked and she's like on all fours and there's like something going this way. And I show it to my teacher and I'm like, I'm so proud of this drawing. <laughs> just like, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, no I, don't, I like my job. I don't want to get fired. I'm not going to touch this with a six foot pole. Exactly. Looking back, I'm like, God, what was I thinking? You know, but was, were those inspired by like old like internet old internet forums with like where people would share like their various posts did you post online ever yeah, or? do you remember deviant art yeah deviant art yeah i had a deviant art profile um, okay i deleted it actually a couple years ago i made sure to download everything because in many yeah. ways that was the only archive that i had going back into like 15 16 years some of those posts and i don't have those drawings anymore but i do have them because of DeviantArt, they're saved. Yeah. And I remember it would be like upside down crosses and I would paint it with my own blood, things like that. <laughs> dramatic. A lot of it came from, uh, I have a lot of those impulses now. I just channel them in a much more like sharp way, I guess. Like it's yeah. more directed. And back then it's just, you're an edgy teenager and it's just anything like that is cool and edgy. And yeah. Well, you've kind of gone from drawing like one person to drawing like thousands of people yeah. in, in one piece, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, but the subject matter has stayed kind of the same, you know? You like nudity and you like fucking and you like... Yeah. Uh, Maybe because I've normalized it since such a young age, it just doesn't seem very exceptional to me until somebody points it out and they're like, yeah. this is a little... Well, it's taboo, right? I, yeah. How did you come to like taboo, do you think? I don't know. I guess it was always, there was always a sense of play, even when I was really young. Um, okay. And when I was really young, like in junior high school, I, I wrote poetry too. And I, I wish I had that book of poetry still. Um, Is it written in blood? <laughs> you know, I'm sure there was, there was some. And I would, it would be so pathetic. I would take like, you know, a needle and like poke my finger and it was just like a minuscule amount of blood. I'm not, I'm not, I, I didn't cut. I wasn't like a self-harm, none, none, nothing like that. Yeah. Um, it was more like a, like playing, like playing with themes that when you're that young, you don't understand what you're really seeing, what you're, what you're thinking about, but you're sort of learning through some sort of osmosis, you know, like, let me try this hat on and see if it fits. Yeah. So I was 
pretty happy kid, you know, but it's like any kid that becomes a goth or metal. I was, I was like in the metal crowd. I was like both in like the metalhead crowd. And I was also with like, I was the president of the Lord of the Rings and sci-fi club. Nice. (laughs) So I had like that, those two things. And, you know, when you're a kid that young, like why are kids, some kids just drawn to emo culture or goth culture or metal culture. It's just, it feels like transgressive and dark. And to me it was beautiful. And, you know, but that now I'm looking back and I'm like, shit, like I would write things that seemed, you know, they were talking about suicide and harm and some sort of like dark shit. And I'm just like, shit, I had no idea what I was saying. No idea. Uh, You know, when you live and learn and you sort of, you know, where I, where I approach it differently now is it's not just the chaos of the dark universe. It's more about like where that chaos intersects with our actual real world mm-hmm. and what real implications does that have And a much more, it may seem like it's not empathetic because I could be really hard sometimes on people, but it, I think there's like a certain sense of like, I don't know, humanity to it, pathos maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. No. And there's lots of humor which uh, I, I don't know if you were using as much humor when you first started. Not at all. Uh, other than, I mean, um, in that Raw show is the, is the uh, illustration or painting of you with the gun in your mouth, um, <laughs> which when you describe it to people, you're being, you're like, I was just like being funny, like, you know, and like nobody got the joke, which I re- related to because I use a lot of humor in my stuff. And like, if you're off and people don't get it, you are very, very off, you know? And so I, I think I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, there's the difference between like, you know, I used a very realistic style of rendering, you know, to make that picture. And yeah. so you don't have a suspension of disbelief when you look at it when you're looking at it you're still part of the real world so you're like gosh this is dark right so that's why like I switched my style I adapted to the fact that what I really want to do is have a certain sense of humor which is impossible to do when you're painting realistically you know so it's still very much evolving but when people look at like a cartoony painting that's really dark they can have that level of suspension of disbelief like we look at South Park and it can go deep dark crazy, crazy places and get away with it because right. it's rendered in the way that it is. Like yeah. Super Jail. Your, your paintings remind me a lot of Super Jail. I don't know if you've ever seen Super Jail. It's an adult swim uh, show. It's on uh, HBO Max right now if anyone wants to see it. But uh, it, it has like all those little like uh, interesting like bits and naked people and they're always getting their heads cut off. And yeah, I'll check that out. It's very like intricate a lot, um, like your paintings too, uh, but different, different for sure. Um, I went through your old Instagram to like see where you came from. Was your thesis work the mountains with the people? Yes. Like, the figures, that was your thesis work. The one with the mountains and there was like a, just a clump of people at the bottom. This painting? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was part of my thesis, definitely. Okay. So... It's a landscape. <laughs> yeah. But, but when you zoom in, this is like an orgy, right? Yes. Which is a lot closer to your current work. Yes. Yeah. I think the way that I, so I got to school and I have all these, you know, what would be considered traditional skills. You know, I could render, color, draw, whatever the fuck. 
and um but i can't apply it to anything meaningful right okay so i go through my first year and i'm still trying to figure out what that means how i can apply it and then i go i get sent on a residency between the two years so i go to germany for a year not for a year for for a couple months i go to life oh, cool. germany and i use that residency really like as a time to just like i'm so fucking frustrated nothing is applying correctly i'm not getting my ideas across what what can i do radically different and so i got rid of reference material entirely so i start drawing only from the imagination and i really love the way that it feels so i'm in germany i'm doing all these new paintings and they're all from the imagination they're all kind of like because it's such a new territory what it feels like and to some extent what i'm still doing is i've given myself this enormous task of learning an entirely new vocabulary one that's imaginative and only imaginative yeah so i'm taking my time figuring that out so at this point it's about a year after i've adapted that way of working and um i'm sort of juggling different elements so in the, the first couple paintings i made were very simple then the next couple of ones i got made them a little bigger i added new elements into it by the by the time i was doing this one i was like okay i could handle adding more people a slightly more complicated landscape maybe some texture you know what i mean like i'm, I'm yeah. juggling and i'm slowly adding elements into it yeah 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 by the time that you you saw that painting um i'm sure you did like the really big one right like tons and tons of people and it's really complicated yeah by the time i made that painting i'm like juggling like a thousand balls i'm like yeah i fucking got this <laughs> and so now i've sort of i've made that painting and i made the next painting after that which were deeply deeply complicated and now i'm like removing balls again you're going back yeah backwards yeah so the new body of work that i'm working on is um i have a show coming up in i guess a month now yeah um, and so i'm taking some elements out but kicking it up a notch with the elements that i do have so they're getting they're more confident they're more forward you know so at this point in my thesis and people had no idea like i went to a school that was that whose motto is what is it traditional skills furry <laughs> discourse i think was their motto so like they, they didn't get it they you know I, I confused the fuck out of them they were like what are you doing you have oh yeah all, you have all these skills you know what are you what are you trying to do here and so i call, I call this your uh goggin americana or i don't know how to say his name paul goggin Gauguin, i think it is Gauguin. again okay yeah this is like your americana Gauguin phase where you you have the figures but you also have like the little pop pop culture people taking pictures yeah. uh, and you're you're playing with that like uh expose of the the form um but it's sort of like perverted still yeah like like his paintings are kind of perverted if you really think about them oh uh, definitely i mean he himself yeah. was a bit of a right right <laughs> he definitely was perverted yeah so yeah so i call that that's what i call this and then you graduated and i think you started pulling back in your fantasy roots if i'm not mistaken because you started like shooting those naked people out of a volcano and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then you um you made a painting with the british soldiers mm -hmm. which was really cool and they're pissing and stuff yeah that was uh, like my first real positive my six, first successful experiment using copper as a substrate right and copper is so interesting because gold is such a dirty color right now um, 
did that coincide with Trump at all, or was that just a coincidence? Where was this? This was 2017. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess it did. Oh, yeah. I, I took an etching class in school, and I'm I hated it. It was I had a really great professor. Um, the class itself was good, but it was just not something I wanted to do. But copper, I had all these extra copper plates that I never ended up using. And so I'm like, I'll take them on this residency. I went on this really cool residency in France and I'll experiment. Again, I'm using a residency to sort of like play around and experiment. Oh, cool. And so I painted this on this. It's pretty small. It's like maybe that big of a painting. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you do that small? How do you um, paint when, when they're that small? Because I, I paint, but I can't. And I like to doodle. So I'm, I'm dying to know how you actually, like, uh, what materials you use. Oil paint, you know, I, okay. I learned a lot about, you know, copper as a material is historically, was historically widely used. It just fell out of favor. Yeah. A, because it becomes cost prohibitive at big sizes and big paintings are really something that are not just in fashion now, but they have been for a very long time. Right. So, you know, making... Although I have to say, like, the cost, I go to a tinsmith to buy my copper. It's not that expensive. It's, it's not as expensive as people think it is. Yeah. Is um, it more than a canvas, do you think? It costs about the same as a really nice piece of Belgian portrait linen. Okay. So. <laughs> so it's pretty expensive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if that's the metric, then, you know. But then you're, you're talking about there's no prep time. Right. I don't right. have to prep it. I just lightly sand it, buff it a little bit. There's no, you know, I build a very simple framework around it and that's it, you know. So okay. it ends up costing per panel just about the same as it would if I were to make like, if I were to go to Blick and buy like a wood panel of the same size, which wouldn't be really good quality. So it's like the, it's not that, it's not that bad, yeah. but it looks good and it looks <laughs> very in person. I mean, it photographs awfully it's awful to photograph but in person it has a really nice quality it's like have you ever been to a museum and they have all these like uh, reliquaries and oh yeah books from illuminated manuscripts and their covers are metals and enamel and stuff yeah. they don't photograph well but in person they have like this they just know. shine and like yeah and you're drawn to them like a moth and <laughs> exactly yeah so in today's you know in the contemporary art world we have to think a lot about digitized artwork you know because mm -hmm. it's the world that we live in we almost always consume art digitally yeah you know so um i think a lot about like what's the place of art now physically you know yeah does it have a place really anymore or is like percentage wise maybe it's like 20 percent or less than that probably even is viewing it in person and then the rest of it is digital I mean, it has to be, at this point, it has to be even less than 20%, right? Because, I mean, I've never even seen your work in person, but I've seen all your work, you know? Um, so it's just hard to show things in person right now, period, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So then I think you started getting a little more involved in the, like, crisis of the climate crisis and different crises going on in <laughs> 2018. Um, and your work gets like slightly po political. Am I correct? Like little like sp speech bubbles that say we're fucked and I the volcano. It's like archetypically political. Yeah. Know? So. But I think you are still resisting being 
like absolutely political. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Well, the new body of work that I'm working on, which I haven't shown it at all yet, um, only one or two paintings I've posted from the show, and I have like about 10 or 12. Um, they're much more... So what's going on right now and what has gone on for the past, you know, a couple of years and throughout this administration is not some anomalous random occurrence. It's been boiling. It's been happening, you know, for, for decades, for generations, you know, for the entirety of American existence as a country, it's always been there. So I'm fascinated by the, that kind of like underlying causes, the, the, the archetypical viewpoint, the zoomed out view, like not so much, if I just make a painting that characterizes Trump, you know, there's many, many of characters of Trump, absolutely, and they're done really, really well. Yeah. I'm sort of looking, what's what's the pedestal that's holding him up that gave him the power that he has right now, the persistence that he has right now, the the complete kind of baffling sort of like, he could survive any crisis he could survive any scandal yeah. you know i'm looking at those structures because if anything he's not necessarily he's just like the apex of what is a mountain of accumulating problems that go back to some sort of primal state of human nature you know yeah. that we've had for gosh forever you know for yeah. the entire history of civilization basically and i love history like i love when I paint, I listen to either audiobooks or watch documentaries or right now I'm binging Star Trek, but <laughs> I need to like, not tune into the world. Yeah. You escape from reality. With Everyone a... has to escape. Yeah. And it gives me such hope. You know, Star Trek gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. And um, Utopias so, but, can do that, I think. <laughs> yes. But even in Star Trek, there's a period of great chaos before they reach the utopia. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something to think about. Maybe that's the point that we're getting to now. Um, and you know, by, but by reading history, like you really realize that there's no new narrative that's been, you know, revealed or like, we're not experiencing anything new, you know, it's just that we we keep forgetting what happened. I keep saying after Lincoln, there was like James, what was his name? Andrew Johnson. After Lincoln, there was Andrew Johnson, who basically repealed everything that Lincoln did except for freeing the slaves. He tried to. I mean, he was notoriously hated. Like, he showed up to his inauguration drunk. That's how bad he was. But then we Um, had, like, five more presidents that, you know, did the Jim Crow He did Grant. Then you had the the five people that did nothing. Um, Right. Or made it worse, basically. Yeah, no. So, Johnson was, like, he was standing in the way of everything. So, like, he did not believe... I was a history major. Um, uh, so he believed that, like, he only wanted 10% of the South to agree because he never considered them seceded. So he's like, you know, they don't need to do anything. They just need 10% of them to say or that they're sorry. And everyone in the North's like, no, they attacked us. They declared war on us. You can't do that. So they started, because of though, too, they started, like, pushing more and more drastic things. So, like, that's why you got the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment was because Andrew Johnson was staying the way. We probably would have had something less if Andrew Johnson was just so bad because, like, they were just going to pass laws. And then he's like, no, I'm going to veto that. And they're like, fine. And they just simply <laughs> outdo them and make amendments. Then you had – so then after Johnson, he lasted – I'm going to cut uh, you off. Okay. 
Professor if I, Eric. If, if, if I like something, I will not stop talking about it until I think I'm, until I'm satisfied. I think everyone else, I don't care. You'll enjoy my conversation or not. I don't let's, care. Let's it's go my... back to art. Sorry. I can relate to that very much. Thanks for the history lesson on Angie Johnson. You are welcome. Well, I mean, if so, yeah. So, okay. I don't know if you've read the news recently in the past a couple of days it's hard to avoid but this one particular story about philip gustin's show for museums around the world has been postponed if not outright canceled they say postponed but yeah. you know and there's been like a huge outrage about that because gustin was an artist who was not afraid to just boldly make mm -hmm. paintings that really confronted you know the racism of his time you know and the prejudices of his time like really boldly yeah AKK, like yeah. hoods and everything, yeah. And this show is being postponed not for the critique of the KKK that Gustin was positing, but because of the image itself, as if just the pictures and just the rendition of the KKK is offensive in and of itself. And without, you know, taking into account that his whole thing was to have that direct punch of being like, this is a problem, we're complicit, I'm complicit in this problem. I'm painting a KKK guy painting a painting. I'm complicit, the world is, everybody's complicit in this bullshit. Yeah. You know, and the fact that museums are not, they're, they're fearful of even engaging in that kind of conversation for fear of them catching some sort of, you know, flack. What I think is, has been good coming out of that conversation is so many people are being like, what the fuck? Like, this is bad. You can't just, we need to talk about this. It feels very different than it was maybe three years ago where people would be like, you know, not second guessing these kind of decisions, you know? So maybe we're ready to start really being confrontational, you know, and directly tackling these kind of problems. You know, we just have to be ready on an institutional level too yeah. and demand that from our institutions our grand liberal progressive institutions <laughs> you know, so there was, that are not run by liberals basically <laughs> no they're run by a certain type of you know yeah. capitalist elitists you know and right. to be an artist is to skirt that those two worlds who really has enough money to afford thousands of dollars in artworks you know it's not the common man for right. sure mm -hmm. so you know so it's those kind of it's those kind of like archetypical problems that are nuanced, they're complex, they're never straightforward, that that's what interests me artistically, visually, more than just having a caricature of our time. I wanted to ask about the sex in your paintings. Is that, is it play? Is it like improvisation when you're, when you're drawing those? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I think a lot about compartmentalization. Okay. Um, so when you live your life, you sort of have the boxes of in which you put things. This is appropriate for this time. This is appropriate for that time. I dare not think about this, you know. But the truth is the world is not so neat, you know. And right. sex is a part of that kind of primal body that we yeah. sort of compartmentalize into its own little space, you know, and take it out when it's appropriate. And, you know, so being confronted with imagery of sex in an environment that's not, say, like, just for sex, like you're not in front of your computer screen and you're just looking at porn or whatever, like when you see it in maybe in a gallery context or like in some sort of other context, it seems 
it may seem a little bit like shocking and like, ooh, put sex out there. But the truth is it's really banal at the end of the day. It's a part of our everyday existence and it's quite banal. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, you know, even more ironic, uh, when you think of it as shocking or if somebody were to think of it as shocking, like a lot of art has had lots of fucking in it, you know, going back to like art historic. Yeah. And it's only like our repressed American society that has made that a thing to even consider, you know? We went from showing lots of nudity, like even in the church. Yeah, the church has commissioned it, right? Yeah, by Michelangelo's painting. There's a book that I keep meaning to read. I think it's called The Sexuality of Jesus or something. (laughs) And it basically goes into the way that Jesus is depicted very uh, anatomically correct, you know? Yeah, especially when he's a baby. He's half naked. <laughs> yeah, and if not outright naked, to right. show that he's a man and he's part of the, he's a human, human being, you know, and yeah, he's got the dick to prove it. And that was very much part of the symbol, symbolism back then. And that goes all the way back to, you know, the Greeks who believed that male bodies were the epitome of beauty and female bodies were actually covered up and never shown, you know. Right. In Greek art at all. Which is strange. <laughs> it is. But then again, Greek, you know, ancient Greek women are second class citizens in the most literal view of that. I mean, maybe even third class. They weren't citizens at all, right? Because right. <laughs> citizenship was never extended that far. Yeah. Um, they were thought to be the people that held the baby. That was about it. Exactly. And they weren't allowed to leave the house uncovered unless they were, you know, a, a street woman, you know. So, yeah. So that's. Um, that kind of compartmentalization, right? That kind of, that started in America, this kind of American puritanical approach to sex is only for very narrow bandwidth of circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Every other time it's completely inappropriate to even broach the topic or look at it or whatever. You know, that's, we're still, we still live in that kind of era very much, you know, otherwise we wouldn't really be shocked. One second. Quiet. Is it family time for everyone? (laughs) (laughs) And my boyfriend's making me a drink. He's playing the bartender today. Oh, cool. Do you live with your boyfriend? Uh, Not yet. So I still have my own place. I have a studio down in, um, I don't know how well you know New York, but it's in South Brooklyn. So right by the water. Um, Okay. It's a old World War I munitions, the biggest one in the country at the time, munitions um, storage facility. Brooklyn Army Terminal. Oh, cool. It's no longer anything close to related to the army at all, but it's, um, oh, thank you. Hello. Hello, Hello. boyfriend. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) This isn't getting edited out. (laughs) She's just spilled her drink. Nothing, bro. (laughs) Those are just listening. She was given a drink, and then the first thing she did was just go kaplunk. Yeah, it was. I waved at him, and he got distracted and knocked the drink out of her hand. Unfortunately, you, know, you also got to see me. If those missing, why I disappeared for a second was because my brothers decided to listen to Mario speed trial speed runs in the room next door to me. Those are speed runs are great. I used They're to great. watch them falling asleep. Um, oh, cool! That's what he does as well. Do you play video games? I love video games, yeah. What are you playing right now? I didn't play video games as a kid because we couldn't afford any. 
but I started getting into video games like maybe like I was 19, 20, something like that. Oh, cool. My first game was um, Metro 2033. Oh, yeah. I'm still one. obsessed with it. That's good. Um, and Did you like the third one? Because I know people weren't as happy with the third one. No? <laughs> it didn't have that. Um, you could, when you could make gunpowder, that defeats the entire purpose of the game. <laughs> yeah it became not, not only too easy at some point but it was also yeah. like an open world and some of it was like outdoor most of it was outdoors and i'm like the whole point is this dark claustrophobic yeah. experience and now you're like in the desert and it's sunny outside like, like just, the world you were told the first two games the entire world's destroyed except for this one spot yeah. we lied everything's open actually pretty good if they made an open world that was all in the tunnels that would have been fantastic that would have been a lot better i agree because there's, there's plenty of subway systems <laughs> world over right yeah. that. anyway i digress one of my favorite <laughs> games is fallout right also another fallout. oh yeah i'm playing um, i'm trying fallout 76 right now it's not that great mm. um and i was obsessed with fallout 4 for like the longest time i've played it several times and the the aesthetics of that game has actually really been influential in my new body of work interesting kind of like you know, you have Pip-Boy, you know, you have this kind of naive uh, optimism of the 1950s, right? Right, right. That completely glazed over the dark parts of the war, and there's this craziness going on. And that kind of Pip-Boy, kind of happy 1950s thing and the advertising is, I love that. I absolutely love it. And I think because I played that game so much, it's kind of coming out in yeah. my life right now. It's a good juxtaposition. Or dichotomy yeah it's a funny game they use a lot of humor there right you know a lot it's of dark satire. a lot of exactly a lot of good satire yeah did you just hear that belch no okay that's my brother belching in the kitchen so hi craig he can't he can't, he can't hear you from here he's just being annoying I, he is he he's very passive aggressive yeah. he's also like the smartest person we've ever met and yeah. probably ever will meet no, if you ever meet him, you're like, how do you, how are you still alive? Like, like how well, do you just like not run into traffic by now? He's one of those smart people that, you know, shouldn't be able to function. He's outside. a staff scientist for Stanford, but at the same time, like, I've yeah. seen him play in traffic. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he does laser stuff. Lasers, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love science, but I'm like, um, the ideas of it are cool. I have no idea how any of it actually works. So I, I get like really excited when I learn something new and it'd be something really like dumb, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like for somebody who actually knows anything. So I yeah. listen to um, a podcast by, uh, oh gosh, Sean Carroll. And he has got that, oh God, what is it called? It's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, great podcast. And he talks about like some really far out concepts about like quantum mechanics and all that stuff. Mindscape, Mindscape podcast? Mindscape, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, and cool. He, invites all these guests and they talk about like multiverse theory and i'm just like what? oh nice anyway, i like to i like to think about those things i don't understand yeah. how they work but just to think about those things is really fun you know it's really nice and pe i'm happy people like him exist and they give me hope in the world too right because he thinks of the world in a much grander picture we're all just more people did. electrons compared to the galaxy exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah but going back to art, if we can, um, let me find my notes. They're gone. So we're back to art and we're talking about your new work, which I haven't seen, nobody's seen. 
but you've put up a mysterious painting that just says, but he's a good daddy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's very, uh, what's the word? I don't know. It, it draws you in. It sucks you in. You keep staring at it because you can't figure out what's happening. There's a nuclear explosion. There's a man being spanked. They're wearing... It, it looks like Reagan. Do you want to put it on, Keegan? It pretty much is Reagan, right? No, I'd rather just describe it. <laughs> no, I'll put... I, I think I... Uh, oh, okay, so... Yeah, and it's like Reagan. There's all these presidents in the background. And... Who's Trump? No, I don't, I don't think Trump's in this. I think he's in one of the background pictures, if I remember. Is he? Okay. Yes, I don't. I didn't, I didn't intentionally put him there. Um, no, I don't think he is. I think these are dead presidents. But he's a good daddy, and and um, yeah, it says "Live free or die" as a tattoo, and he's got the the cross and the. I don't know what what kind of tattoo that is, but um, yeah, it's really cool. If you want to find it, it's a Tarasenko on Instagram. If you're not following her should be and yeah so this is the first painting that you put on online of your new show is that correct uh yes yes okay and i'm sure that everyone has already talked about it um i'm late i'm late to the game but yeah it's just a really interesting look <laughs> look i don't know it's very different than your other work i'd, I'd say it's yeah it relates more closely to the paintings I've been making in the same format this year. I made a few more before this one. Um, but I think right. a lot of daddies. Um, and a daddy is any man in a position of authority. So, okay. You know, and of course you have, you know, the, the female counterpart to it. But a daddy is a very special, a very different role than what a mommy would be, right? Because a daddy, we live in a patriarchal society. It's un inescapable. That's the truth. And so a daddy takes the ultimate position in any given situation, you know, so um, uh, give me a, give me a man and I'll say if he's a daddy, like somebody like, even somebody like an art critic, like Jerry Saltz is a daddy, you know what I mean? He's, he's a daddy. A man whose opinion is of utmost importance and consequence, you know, and every time like I joke around, I'm like, daddy doesn't like it, you know what I mean? Or daddy doesn't. <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll have, like, I'll say those things to myself. Daddy this is no great. Lucky. This is literally what I was going to ask. What the hell is a daddy? Yeah. Is, it's the, is it the sexualized daddy to you? Or is it just No, I mean, there's something as a sexualized daddy, and that's obviously okay. a play on that. Okay. You know, those two things are not necessarily um, mutually exclusive. Okay. Right? You know, there's a certain sexual attraction to men in power, too, right? But then there's also the hypersexual daddy, the somebody who's literally like it's part of the fetish community. You have a daddy, whatever. But it's. It goes daddy. back to 1681 when prostitutes in England called their pimps daddy. I looked this up because I, <laughs> you know, and I even like text my artist friends. I was like, hey, is daddy in any art historical stuff that I need to like look up? And they, they were like, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would I, say more of an amalgamation of contemporary um, vernacular and really mm -hmm. good. I think it's an old concept, too. I've seen, I've seen other, uh, like, yeah, again, young people use it. Like, yes. like this. Yeah. They use it 
I think much more in the concept of, and even like the playful way in which they use it, like daddy, yes, daddy, you know what I mean? Like this kind of like playfulness, you know, right, right. understanding that a daddy is somebody who's like a, a man in a position of authority, you know? And then I think about it, how does that apply politically, right? Mm-hmm. Not just politically, but, you know, all power dynamics, right? So right now we're sort of at the mercy of these daddies who are making decisions on our behalf in a very sort of patronizing way Mm -hmm. without our consent, you know, without even our popular vote, you know, without. So we have this in all walks of our life, like all of our decisions are being made this way. And then with this particular painting, I'm thinking about the media, right? And the horrible complicitness of the media. I don't know if complicitness is a word. I I think it's complicitude. It is now. (laughs) It is on this podcast. (laughs) But do you ever get frustrated with mainstream media and you're like, yes. Yes. And they, they, they draw the lines, you know, and then they only, they establish the narrative that is only, that only works right for whatever narrative that they need to follow. And the need is click throughs and views, right? Yes. It's, it's not really a need to share news anymore. It's a need to get people to watch. And, and depending, and, and dividing the, the audience actually amplifies the audience, right? So yeah. divide and conquer kind of thing. But in it's, the, it's the, what's interesting is the niche um, that you hear about when you're like, oh, you just need to find your niche when you're making fantasy books or you're uh, painting uh, pictures of people's dogs. That can be your niche and you can make lots of money doing that. The news is now doing that. It's like, we'll just find our niche, like yeah. 200,000 or so crazy people that will buy into our bullshit and, yeah. just, and just keep marketing to them. And yeah. Yeah. And that's like one prong of that problem. The second prong is that they may have very powerful people who own all those companies who need to maintain a very clear agenda, right? And that agenda can be really pernicious to the point where certain news outlets won't cover certain stories because it doesn't fit tightly with the narrative and the agenda of the people that control those companies. Rittenhouse. Yeah, right now, I mean, Murdoch, you know. Have you seen Timeless? I'm sorry. I just watched Timeless. I binged it. It's on Hulu. And uh, the whole, uh, all of America is being, it's a very uh, America-centric time travel show, but all of America is being run by this secret organization called Rittenhouse. I don't know. Dumb reference. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Just throwing that in there. That's your second reference to a TV show today where no one's watched it besides you. Well, maybe people should watch these shows. That's, you know. Uh, you yelled me about talking about uh, Andrew Johnson too much. You talk about stuff no one's watched. The reason I started watching Star Trek was because my friend was like, you must. And I only started like last year. I was like, you must watch it. <laughs> I resisted, I resisted. But then I'm, now, now I'm absolutely obsessed. Which Star Trek are you on? Uh, I watch Next Gen. Uh, okay. that. I, it, I'm like doing my second annual playthrough, right? So of, oh, of Next Gen? Okay. Next gen, and now I'm going through Voyager sec for the yeah. second time. I love oh, yeah. Voyager. Oh, <laughs> we are bored. <laughs> Seven of Nine, Janeway, Tuvok, yeah. Neelix can, you know, jump off the bridge. But have Have you seen Discovery? I tried, but it doesn't have that campy. No. 
campaign yeah. that I love about. But it does address current political situations. Which it should I give it a better shot. I just love the campiness and the sort of episodic quality of the other. The shows. Orville. The Orville. It's not technically Star yeah, Trek, I but it, that's actually the most Star Trek show there is right now, though I think. Yeah. But because we're kind of missing that right now. You know, yeah. everything needs to be sequential now, and I feel like we need to get back to more like episodic. Yeah. I'm so upset with Star Trek for redoing the one movie that didn't need to get redone. You know, Khan, like the one movie that was done the best. Let's redo the one movie that's redone the best. Like, why? You don't need to redo that one. I well, thought that was good. Never, I never even gave the movies a shot. Because oh. I'm like, if, if Discovery isn't campy, I don't even, I don't know if this is going to be. Oh, I really like the new Star Trek movies. I like one and three. Because number yeah. two is a redo of Khan, and Khan was fantastic. But I, I like two, too. But yeah. As well, too, as well. Series, but I can't get into the original series as much as I love. They're hard to watch. <laughs> They're really hard. They're very They're... long. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to rewatch the original Doctor Who. So those are not good either. Uh, yeah, it's just not the same sensibility. I, mean, I eventually made it through those, though. Yeah. That's what I need to. I need to. I feel like there's value in them, and I need to. Yeah, you just have to like have nothing. Go- have a, a painting in front of you and just. It's yeah. on in the background. Yeah, that's the only reason I get through shows and books and, and podcasts <laughs> so fast because I don't listen to music really very often um, when I paint. Yeah, so I always have something going on in the corner of my eye, and so I'll run through shows like really, really quickly. So you have like a TV or a computer in your studio? Phone, I have a phone. Oh, like a phone? Oh, you should invest. <laughs> invest in a screen. <laughs> It's also going to be kind of hard, though, too, because, like, the screen's not that big. So if you want to see something, you really have to... Well, she works in miniatures. She she works in miniature paintings, so... Honestly, most of the time, I just need the audio. And I'll you just it. need the audio. That's yeah. cool. It's, it's Most of the time, it's things I've already seen. Yeah. Um, you know, like, if I'm watching Star Trek already for the second time, I <laughs> much know <laughs> yeah. what's happening. So I just need the audio, and that's it. And there's a certain comfort to it and a certain hope that I have and a certain kind of... They go into a lot of theoretical stuff, you know, obviously the science is very wonky, but there's a lot of theoretical sort of, you know, not just psychological things, but scientific things. And there's a lot of like really, really nice um, thought experiments that you could sort of let your brain go with the flow with it. It's really soothing, you know. It is. And we need soothing right now too. Just as much as we need like discourse and and like action we need soothing and calm you know yeah exactly um my paintings are not soothing and calm <laughs> well it depends <laughs> i never felt more relaxed watching it uh everything <laughs> watching the girl bend over on all fours and all fours than i was watching the senior comp anything more yeah maybe you watch old white men getting peed on and and you think that's, I mean, the the sound anyway, right in, in the background. How did you know? That's not that's a painting that I'm working on. Well, I, it's up on. I oh, think it's up, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a drawing. It's a drawing. Yeah, and now I'm working on the painting version. Oh, cool. Yeah. You have a lot of pee in your paintings. Oh yeah. Well, it goes back to one of those things that, like, you know, it's a bodily function. Um, yeah. It's not as rude as shitting. I don't know if I'll ever make shitting paintings. I think you've had some. You you've had some. some where they pooping oh, off the cliff. Small details in some bigger paintings. Yes. Um, oh yeah. But I wouldn't make it the centerpiece. Oh, I see. Um, I mean, it's like a staple in like weird 
porn, right? Some of these things. Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, but it's also much more common than people think. It's also something we do like yeah. five times a day, you know. Right. And it's just another example of that kind of like, you know, there's certain things that are considered we shouldn't look at and we should look at. We sort of put it in its own little neat box, tuck it away. You know, to even talk about it out loud is kind of you know, transgressive in many ways, you know, I'm lucky in that, like, the kind of friends that I have, and the kind of circles that I run in, it's like, we all, we're all kind of weirdos, and we're all artists, and we all live a certain kind of bizarre lifestyle, but it doesn't feel bizarre to us until we have a conversation with somebody that doesn't necessarily know anything about art, or the art world, or certain kind of ulterior, ulterior, no. I think it goes back to deviant art, to be honest with you, because you see stuff like that on there, and like that just normalized it for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, it, but yeah, when I see stuff like this, it's not super shocking, but it, and it is hilarious, you know, well, you a know, lot of yeah. people would be offended. Yeah. Well, in the art world, I wonder if there's such a thing as even being offended anymore. Cause like if there's so many, I noticed the other, like a few years ago, like um, there was a year, the year of the butthole. <laughs> and then, so every group show that I looked at and every show that I went, there was buttholes everywhere. And buttholes. Yeah. Buttholes everywhere. Ooh. I love the butthole. I mean, that's fine. I'm not saying anything about it, but it was just such a, it, there were so many buttholes that I'm like, it's, it's a banal butthole at this point. It's no longer the theme of the painting. It's yeah. just another butthole in a series of paintings featuring buttholes, you know? So when you kind of normalize it and you put that image out there and you're not the only person doing it, you sort of enter it into the, the lexicon, you know, of things to look at. It just doesn't really phase anybody anymore, you know? I think, I think the painting that you made that addresses that is the fountain, which I really, yeah. really like of... <laughs> like Armut's uh, toilets on her head and like there's uh, cops peeing on her and the pee is like dripping into the sewer where the rats are painting her. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's just the art world summed up so perfectly. It's really funny. Yeah, God, I love that. You know, I really want to make a sculpture. If I ever had an, an unlimited amount of money, I would take, you know, Maurizio Catalan's gold toilet. That's at the Guggenheim, I think. Yeah, yeah. If I could turn that and use a solid gold urinal on a ceramic female sculpture and have that be a functioning toilet that's only for <laughs> men, only, only in the men's bathroom, only men are allowed to, to pee in it, um, that would be great. Yeah. But I don't have unlimited resources, so. So not, yet. not yet, not yet. Pay this artist. Yeah. <laughs> Build that urinal. Build Give her that a grant. Build yeah. that urinal. Because Maurizio Catalan is, um, in many ways, he's a daddy in his own right. You know, yeah. he's a conceptual daddy. He's somebody who has this sort of like click idea that's a really one note kind of idea. I love the toilet. I think it's one of, I love that thing. I think it's great. I think it could be elevated and played upon <laughs> now a yeah. gesture into the world that gesture could then be applied to something else do you know what i mean or or somehow yeah. in dialogue with it kind of like when uh, i forgot the artist who bought de kooning's uh, it was rushenberg i think bought de kooning's drawings erased the drawing erases the drawing yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that was, well, that was perfect. You know, that's exactly the kind of play that we need more of now. You know, maybe, maybe you could do a whole show in like a, uh, like a former prison bathroom with just different types of toilets that are usable <laughs> and everybody goes in and uses them you know, yeah. freely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I love like the idea of just, if it's just open to one group of people to look at. So like imagine an artwork <laughs> that only men can look at. Yeah. You know? A show, a show just for men. Just that would for piss men. people off. It truly would. But in a way that like, well, it's very different than if a man were to make that show versus if a woman was to make that show, you know, and that's the kind of dialogue that I like to play with. And I like to, like, I want more of that kind of art, you know. Daddy's that, only. Daddy's only, exactly. Maybe that's the, that's a great show title, actually, Daddy's only. I'm good at titles. I can. <laughs> Daddy's only, yeah. I had a studio after I graduated. I moved into a studio in Manhattan for and nobody gets studios in Manhattan anymore. It just doesn't happen. But we got a really, really great deal. I was paying very, very little money for a really great space. And okay. I was with my best friend. We graduated together. And he's fucking great. And we had all these crazy ideas for shows. And we put on two shows. In our two years that we were there, we put on two shows. Um, the first show he had curated, and it's not, it wasn't a huge space. He curated like something like 100 artworks into oh, our wow. space. <laughs> He built this tunnel and all the artworks were hanging almost oh, like cool. in this bizarre tunnel. Really great. Then I curated a show that was much more tame, <laughs> but I invited like, you know, friends from all walks of life in their art career. He had some people really up top and, you know, people like me who were really unknown. And that was a really fun time. And a lot of people came together and we never got to do the third show, which I'm really hoping we could do. But the third show would be I think, called Ego Empathy, <laughs> where we would pair artists together and they would be, they would have to make each other's paintings. Like an oh, wow. So imagine like, um, and this would be like dream team. Like imagine like I'm paired with Cecily Brown and I have to make a Cecily Brown painting and, and see what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or somebody else who's like really, you know, stylized and stylistic. Honestly, it would probably just be like friend artists. But it's a fun experiment to sort of put on that hat. That's cool. Yeah. We need more play, I think. I think we so do. And I think maybe we sort of lost the sense of play in the art world, or we don't really have that much of it these well, days. I'm, like, I'm trying to think of like what's a really playful show that I've seen in the past five years, and I don't know. I like Judith Bernstein and her like uh, glow-in-the-dark stuff. I don't know if people like those, but... and, and giant mixed bag <laughs> you know. oh yeah there's a really cool show gosh i forgot the artist's name but i keep meaning to go see it and there's like these it's like these rubber almost like sex dolls in these different positions and with all these different accessories and stuff <laughs> in the city somewhere but there's a lot of artists who are sort of working in the they're stepping outside the box they're using a lot there's a lot of sex in art right now there's a lot of like what would have been transgressive at some point, it just really no longer is. It's a certain banal, you know, yeah, especially yeah. because the art audience is a largely liberal progressive audience. So there's really not much that we could do that's shocking unless it was like far right. <laughs> you yeah. know, somebody was like a 
and there was an artist, I forgot his name, who like exploded on Instagram because he started like posting all these like crazy far right conspiratorial things. <laughs> everybody, everybody was losing their shit. They were going to do a far right art show, if I remember correctly. Really? And it, got, and it got shut down. Yeah. And that's the kind of like, that's shocking now. It's, it's shocking to go online and like look for political cartoons that are right wing. <laughs> absolutely hilarious yeah yeah they're really bizarre well different sense of humor though too the right don't like to punch upwards whereas the left have no problem punching upwards so also the right just aren't funny in my opinion so that's besides the point well the right like to pretend that there is no upward to punch you know they like to pretend that gosh i never this really really a great article that somebody sent me um and this is an old article and it's about how because the left doesn't necessarily engage with the kind of dialogue that we need to be like this kind of really confrontational dialogue in regards to race you know that museum show was really a a good example of like they're not really they don't want to engage in it at all because they're scared because they might you know be criticized in some way you know and then you have the right who not only engages with it but they engage in the exact opposite direction they will inflame they pour fuel into the fire basically and purposefully flirt with white supremacy you know i'm talking about flirt as in they're obviously overtly participating in white supremacy but they're flirting with it in terms of media like fox news sort of like uses coded language all the time Mm -hmm. you know they'll never overtly say it yeah I'm saying never, but I'm sure there's a future where they. No matter time, till Tucker Carlson, Carlson comes out with like pure "I'm white, I'm great" language. Yeah, exactly. You know, and even Trump saying things like "good people on both sides" kind of thing. You know, it's that kind of coded language that. Um, going back to that painting, it's the coded language of the media. It's the kind of well, the way that they curate stories to fit an agenda while at the same time being forced to do so and complying with it, being complicit and and complacent with all of this shit. You know, so that's that guy, he's typing it out. He's like, oh, I I believe in liberty and freedom, but at the end of the day, I have a daddy to whom I have to, (laughs) you know, capitulate to and write how great he is. You know, that's (laughs) media in a nutshell. Yeah, It's, it's awesome. I can't wait to see the full show. I'm a little nervous, but you know. Are you still painting? Are you, are they done? Are they work, um, still I working? I have a deadline in a month, so I have some time left to make a few. Oh, good. But I'm more have like a ten paintings at this point. Oh, cool. Has Corona affected your uh, how much you're painting or when you're painting at all? Well, for the first three since March to March to July, um, New York was shut down basically. I my studio building was shut down too, so I had to reload. Oh, yeah. So I painted here in the basement in, um, in my boyfriend's house. And that sucked because I'm like, uh, I don't know about you guys, like I can't, I can't work out at home and I can't work at home. Work, mm. home is for resting, gym is for working out, studio <laughs> is for painting. And so I had to sort of basically change gears, you know. Plus there was a lot of shit going on. It was a really stressful time for everybody, you know. Yeah, yeah. and there's protests and there's viruses and people are dying and it's just like i mean we're we're experiencing some 
interesting times. <laughs> yeah. In, in the words of Star Trek, we're in the worst timeline right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it could be worse, which is the motto, I think, of this year. It could be worse. <laughs> and then could it could be worse. Um, you know what's bad is 2021 is just a reminder that 2021. Yeah. I keep, I keep using <laughs> that joke. <laughs> oh. God, yeah, and like we are, yeah, so I was just um, painting from home. That urinal painting, the fountain I made in quarantine. Oh, well, cool. Okay. But I had, a, I had a hard time working, you know. Yeah. But I made some gems. I think I made a couple of good things. And then uh, the studio reopened in July, and I now I'm back in my own studio, which is great. Yeah, that's um, good. I love being, you know, it's like going into work. Like, you know, I come in with a cup of coffee, and I feel legitimate. Like, I have a career, you know what I mean? It feels nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at home, you're like, God, what am I doing with my life? Like, nothing matters. And at home, I could play video games. I could watch TV. I could cook. I could do whatever I want, you know. How are they doing the show? Uh, do people have tickets to get in? Uh, you know, I don't know. I would love to have like a small opening, um, you know, and maybe like RSVP, keep the cap, the guest list, you know, maybe invite only something like that. There may not be an opening at all. Okay. And people can come see it physically, like, you know. Okay. Galleries are not exactly densely crowded places you know, in the best of times, so only on opening night. Right. Um, yeah, they're pretty sparse. Very sparse. So it's not really much of a, you know, thing. It's just an opening night. And opening night is okay. honestly, like, for an artist especially, like, the, the the funnest. It's the best. You get to, you know, you get to shine. You know, you had all this, I had all this stressful months of making things, and now I get to, like, you know, hey, it's yeah. me, and I love it. Oh, you love it too? You know, <laughs> like, but that... I've been in several group shows this summer, no openings, you know, it feels very anticlimactic. Mm. So I'm hoping that there'll be something. Yeah. Um, but we'll see, you know. That's, that's at the Mania Row Gallery. Yeah, 33rd Street, I think. Um, it's okay. in the sort of Chelsea area, Chelsea Midtown. Okay. And um, she has a really great gallery. It's a smaller space. She has incredible taste. You know, she always puts on really good shows. And she never says anything about my work. You know, she never, like, <laughs> you know, I, honestly, nobody really ever has. Like, neither has Steven in Boston, you know. Oh. It's almost, like, disappointing. Nobody says anything. Nobody's like, don't do that. That's too much. Oh, yeah. I almost expect it. Is that, like, a challenge for you? Like, to eventually get to the point where at some point it's like, <laughs> nope, can't do that? It, it looks like that's what I'm trying to go for but the truth is I'm really kind of um self-conscious you know so like I'll always ask like I'll ask everybody around me like is this too much is this too mm -hmm. much do you think this is too much you know? that's that's smart though because you don't you don't want to be offensive yeah have you, have you done offensive work before has has anyone actually not in the traditional offensive sense. I think there is always going to be people who are offended at looking at something like peeing or I don't know. Okay. Um, it's not like we do that in nature. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, there are definitely are sometimes people who like report my paintings on Instagram. Oh, okay. Um, the nipples? The nipples <laughs> no, I mean, I had like, a, I made like at least two paintings where it was like a woman getting fucked by a dog. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's like a rocket in the background or something, you know. <laughs> and it's a it's a obviously a very crude painting, and I get it. Like somebody's like offended by this. Um, then the other day, like I posted something. I forgot what I posted, and this guy was like, "There are kids on Instagram." You know, and I'm like, I, you know, I have age restrictions on my Instagram account. You know, I'm, I'm happy for you that you're standing up for all the children of America. But it's really not necessary. Next question is, why are you showing that to the children? Like, why are you showing that to your kids? <laughs> yeah. Kids, don't look at this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, let's, right, you know, for an adult to censor themselves for children do you know what i mean like as adults yeah. we've sort of gotten to the point where we can express ourselves the way that we want in a in the appropriate times right and instagram right. Is a platform where you can actually control who sees your work at what age you know so you know i i tried to do that but like they were like oh wow they're kids we're gonna see it was it was literally oh i remember it was a small detail it was polar bears it was a polar bear eating the ass of a seal of a seal yeah that's a classic. There was like no genitals in it, nothing. It was just implied. And I put the hashtag on it, like wildlife or something. <laughs> oh, no. And this guy's like, kids are looking at that hashtag and they're going to get traumatized. By what <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, obviously don't know kids, you know, very well. Nobody's going to get traumatized by this particular picture. So. <laughs> So, oh, that's that's great. Um, yeah, it was it wasn't even anything particularly bad, you know. But people once in a while will do that. It's so I'm not I'm social I try to I try to be socially conscious, you know what I mean? I, I really think a lot about, you know, what's actually offensive versus what just can disagree with somebody's sort of more conservative sensibilities, you know, because there is a yeah. difference between those two things, right? Yeah. So I'm not exploitative in my imagery. You know, maybe I'll exploit female bodies more than anything, but I feel like that's an important sort of symbol for me to use, you know, as a woman. Yeah. Right? So if anything, I I choose to go there with female bodies because it's the truth of the right. way that female bodies have been treated historically, you yeah. know. And if in we real life and in paintings. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if we sidestep that, you know, by always being polite about it, you know, I'd rather not. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Cool. I don't think I've ever offended anybody. Maybe my parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do your parents like your paintings? They're proud of me. It took them a long time, but they don't get it. So they, okay. if they go to like shows or openings or if they look at my art, they don't engage with me at all about the art itself. It's more you- about the pride you know, and that they okay. think I'm here in this space or something like that. Do you ever get inspired by that? Mm. Like, have you ever made anything about about that, like divide or? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's, well, I'm really self-conscious that my parents see my work to this day. It doesn't really inhibit me in any way, but I wonder, like, I make all these paintings now where daddy is sort of like a key word. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't about my dad at all. I don't have a relationship to my dad. But it would terrify me if they like saw that and were like, what do you mean daddy? Yeah. <laughs> my actual father at all, you know? You know, and if you Google, because again, I was, I'm thrown off by the word daddy. I was trying to figure this out. But if you Google, but he's such a good daddy, 
actual daddy websites show up like your dad is good he's doing work and he goes to work every day like that's the type of websites that come up it's really funny absolutely perfect sense i was like here comes the sexualized versions of daddy that i'm looking for and instead it was just actual dad stuff isn't it just a fascinating kind of fixation that people have sexually you know Yeah. Daddy daddy is a like a really prevalent thing sexually. That you never just it's never isolated. You know, when you have a fetish, it's not just an isolated sexual thing. You know, it always always relates back to something in the non-sexual world. And so this kind of, that kind of relationship is really interesting. Yeah. With daddies in particular, like what's this what's the attraction to power? What's the even to the abuse of power? You know, that's a form of play. Right, right. Um, I have a painting right now that I'm working on too. Um, about it's called a mother's milk. Um, yeah, with the men at at the tip. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, I had a roommate, and she told me about this meme called Milky Mommy. (laughs) And I, I'm like, how how did I miss this boat? How did I miss this meme? Um, But Milky Mommy is the concept where it's like the generous breastfeeding woman you know what I mean and it's like I, I can't even describe it in any anything other than like you just have to look it up and see for yourself like Milky Mommy is like a like a 4chan kind of green oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god um meme type of thing but it's also fascinating you know this concept of like yeah also hyper sexualized so you have the both ends of the spectrum for sexualized for different reasons yeah you know that bleeds into our everyday world socially very much all the time yes so it's never just it never sprouts out of a vacuum so well on that note (laughs) (laughs) you've been a lovely guest thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you guys Thank you for putting up with me um, and my family, apparently. Oh, well, they sound very sweet between their working out and their burping and... Typical Craig. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, say thank you to your boyfriend for keeping everyone up late. And we hope that the show goes really well. I hope so too. Yeah. Opening the same week as the election. um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know if we'll be up for art at that moment, but... It's that first Friday, right? Is that... Is that the- um, in New York, it's Thursdays for Chelsea oh, okay. and Fridays and Sundays, I think, for the lower parts. Um, I see. Like five, six, seven different art communities <laughs> all having their own little thing. Well, well, we'll either be really, really up for it or really, really not up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or, and especially your work, really, really up for it, right? Either way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit on top. Um, so vote. Yes. I'm person, I'm going to do it. And, um, Me too. <laughs> I'll not take any risks. Um, and uh, I don't know. Go see the show. Okay. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Hello, and welcome to what I like to call the very end of the podcast. I am still Keegan Shiner, the host, and you have just listened to a full episode. 
Uh, thank you so much to Anastasia Tarasenko for coming on the show. You were a lovely guest. We really, really love your paintings. They're hilarious. And uh, if, if anyone wants to see her show, it's coming up. It's at the Mania Row Gallery in New York City on November 5th. It, that's election week. It should be very easy to remember. Um, and everyone, uh, go see it. Go, go check it out while it's, while it's up. And also, thank you to my bridge, the bridge to the outside of the fine art world. Again, title pending. Uh, Eric Schwartz for coming on and uh, talking. And I hope you learned something. <laughs> uh, anyway, also, uh, before we go, um, the SMFA art sale is all digital this year, and that's 100% online. It's the leading contemporary art sale in New England every year, and it has art from a diverse, talented group of students, alumni, faculty, and friends. So go on the website. It's smfa.tufts.edu slash art sale. All one word art sale all proceeds are directly going to support artists and student financial aid at smfa at tufts so that's kind of cool so the date on that is november 9th through november 23rd 2020 so that's coming up next month the the week after the election if you want to judge everything by when the election is yeah i hope that helps so uh yeah make sure you check that out once again it's smfa.tufts.edu slash art sale Okay, well, I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure you subscribe and you can follow us on Instagram at Fine Art Pod. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.